Good morning and good afternoon, everyone. I am here with Dieter Shirley, who is the Chief Technology Officer at Dapper Labs, plus many more other really interesting things. Thanks so much for being with me here today. Oh, it's really great to take the time, Jared. So let's start off uh, first, Deet, and just getting um, some context here as to your background in the Web3 space, maybe starting from the very beginning, your first experience with the world of crypto. Bring us back to the early days. Well, it was the early, early days. Um, it would, I think it was 2010, a friend of mine, a coworker of mine, uh, sent me a copy of Satoshi's white paper and said, hey, you might find this interesting. <laughs> and, uh, and I looked at it and I thought it was interesting. I thought it was a fascinating type of technology um, I downloaded the software, I ran a crypto miner. There was no hardware miners or even GPU miners in those days. It yeah. was just, you know, C software you'd compile for whatever computer you had and, um, and run it. And I did, and it was an interesting project. And I spent, I don't know, maybe two, three weeks, three months, um, kind of obsessed with the idea. Right. And then I just, you know, moved on to the next thing. It's yeah. sort of my, um, my modus operandi is sort of to get obsessed with things uh, for a period of time and going on. And, and the reason I moved on was because the, the financial aspects, right? The idea of a, a currency independent of governments, um, that wasn't a big deal to me. Like, I understand why people care about that. I yeah. understand why that is, um, especially people who, who have lived under, um, you know, despotic or, or um, uh, unreliable governments. Yeah why that's something that's really important to them. But I grew up in Canada, right? Like yeah. I've lost more money in my couch cushions than like the <laughs> bank or the government has stolen from me. So um, so it, it didn't really bother me. The, the, you know, I didn't have the same motivations that I think a lot of people who yeah. were brought into the crypto days, uh, early crypto days. Um, but I mined 50 Bitcoins. And that was, you know, uh, in all of the forums where, where the Bitcoin people talked, like they would, they would try and set up trades for about 10 cents a Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, that was not a great investment in, in my time, um, or electricity, but it was fun and interesting. And I learned a lot. Um, so were you, were you a, like a college kid at this point? Oh no, I was, uh, I was professional. So I, I graduated oh, in 1996, I you, graduated university in 96. Yeah. You look a lot younger. <laughs> I'm 48. <laughs> so, um, did you sell your Bitcoin? Uh, I sold half of it at a hundred bucks. So, um, it got up to a hundred dollars. And I was like, whoa, yeah. like $5,000, <laughs> like, wow, yeah. of like just free money. And yeah. so I sold half of it. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then in about 2013, um, it was actually, that was the year I joined Axiom Zen. Okay. And it was, there was a big Bitcoin uh, bull rush that year. And um, it went up to about $1,000, I think $1,400 right. or something like that. And so I was like, man, like I, I'm going to sell some more. But then, and I thought to myself, well, when is like when it? How, how do I how do I come up with some rational way to deal with right. with selling this stuff? So I actually built a spreadsheet, and every time Bitcoin doubles, I sell a little bit more. I've got okay. this like plan that I made yeah. in 2013. You're still following, and it? I'm still following. It. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, what forethought. Uh, and so, uh, so yeah, so I'm selling a little bit every time it doubles. Um, so the next, uh, benchmark is when it hits hundred K and yeah. I do it in Canadian dollars. So we got real close. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a while now. It seems like. <laughs> <laughs> so you joined Axiom Zen in, uh, in 2013, maybe paint us a picture of Axiom Zen and their relationship with Dapper Labs and how, how that all looks. Yeah, I mean, Axiom Zen was, uh, is a startup that builds startups. I mean, I guess it's not a startup so much anymore. It was formed <laughs> at the beginning of 2013. But um, that 
it, the whole idea of that company was that most startups, right, you get together some smart people with a clever idea and they try and build a product and maybe they succeed, maybe they don't. Um, if they succeed, we all know what that story looks like. If they mm. don't, right, like mostly that story is at best you get an aqua hire, right? Like if you get some investors, you get an aqua hire and then, you know, you all go and work for Google for a few years. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, the founder of, of Axiom Zen, uh, Roham Garagoslu, which is, who's my co-founder in Dapper Labs, um, did, didn't like that model. And is like, if you have smart people, right? Like he was an investor himself. He, he worked for an investment firm and he knew you invested in teams as much as product ideas. Yeah. And so it was so hard to find a good team to invest in. Yeah. Why would you give up on that team after just one idea? Surely yeah. those people could come up with another idea yeah. and we call it a pivot, but it's, and, and it does happen, but his idea was much more grand. Like, let's hire the right people, uh, people who any startup would want to have on their staff, tech mm -hmm. startup, and let's just try idea after idea, right. dozens of ideas yeah. without having to kowtow to investors. So yeah. it was completely bootstrapped. We, um, we self-funded with, um, you know, doing contracts and, and joint development with various companies. Yeah. Um, and then we did a bunch of just crazy, wacky startup ideas. Yeah. And, um, you know, as of today, there's been three companies spun out of Axiom Zen mm -hmm. um, successfully. One is Routific, which is, well, they're all based here in Vancouver. Uh, Routific, which is a, a, a vehicle routing company for small businesses, right? Mm -hmm. If you have doing a delivery and you want to know how to route your, your okay. trucks to minimize the number of the amount of the travel time. Yeah. Um, that's software that didn't exist for smaller companies. Mm. Um, and then we have uh, Zen Hub, which is a project management tool that built right into GitHub. Um, and really had added just a bunch of great features on mm. top of GitHub, mm -hmm. uh, and many, many of which GitHub has since copied. But of course, uh, you know the ZenHub team keeps moving ahead of them as well. Yeah. Um, and then of course, uh, Dapper Labs was was the third one. Right. And you're um, and and you were part of the founding team of Dapper Labs. Yeah. So what happened with Dapper Labs was that it. It came out of a project, CryptoKitties, um, which I think maybe anybody who was around in 2017 yeah. probably would have heard of. Yeah. So can you tell us about CryptoKitties? Because that's important. Yeah. So in the summer of 2017, um, you know, it, Ethereum was sort of in the news. Yeah. Um, now, it was mostly in the news with ICOs yeah. uh, and people promising to build crazy things, but selling tokens instead of actually building those things. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, I think many of those teams intended to build those things, but uh, unfortunately here we are, you know, five years later and many of those teams haven't built those things, yeah. but, um, and I got really excited. So I, I, had, as I said, I had gotten excited in this Bitcoin technology and, um, but, but the money thing wasn't that, wasn't that interesting to me, right? Okay. An independent form of money didn't yeah. excite me. It didn't get, ignite my imagination. Ethereum though was a computer, yeah. right? And here was a a kind of computer that you could program, right? They call them smart contracts. They're neither smart nor contracts, but they are <laughs> they are programs that run on this, you know, completely autonomous, independent machine. Yeah. And even the programmer who wrote that code and uploaded that code has to follow the rules of that code once it's been deployed. Yeah. Um, and that that absolutely ignited my imagination. Mm. And so in 2017, when I had done a bunch of research into Ethereum and saw this like I just sort of my mind like I just saw a peak right as to what yeah. what might be possible because this thing was was programmable I I went to Roham and, and some other senior folks at uh, Axiom Zen and I said we should try and do something in this yeah. space yeah. and so we spent uh, I think it was the month of June we spent sort of the whole 
month of June just brainstorming ideas. What mm -hmm. could you build? Yeah. And we talked to people in the real estate industry. We talked to people in the mining, like literally digging rocks out of the ground yeah. mining industry. Yeah, yeah. Because um, there's lots of uh, the way the finances work in that world are, are are wild, right? Like the you know people building mines don't have the money to do all this stuff, right. and they don't have the equipment. And right. there's so many contingency contracts, right? Like you get a cut of this if we find something, right? Right. right. Um, or we'll pay you later. Um, right. And so smart contracts and, and escrow, like automatic escrow, mm -hmm. seemed like it would be a really useful. Um, uh, seemed like it'd be really useful for that industry. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, but anyway, so then one of our my coworkers, uh, uh, Mac Flavel, came to me and said, "Dieter, we're going to put cats on the blockchain." <laughs> and I said, "Mac, what does that even mean?" And he's like, "I don't know yet." But the internet loves cats, right. and we should do it. <laughs> and and it's like it was one of those brainworms, right? It's like, well, what does it mean, cats on the blockchain? And so, when we got to that end of that month, the project we ended up putting the company's energy behind was CryptoKitties. Right. We came up with that name, CryptoKitties, and I um, I spent a bunch of time doing, I guess you call it game design, like figuring out what why it would be fun yeah. right because you we could do crypto punks existed at this time okay so nfts existed no one called them that okay so so there was this there were crypto punks yeah um which existed and then there were a few other projects on what people would now call sort of semi-fungible tokens okay. um where it was like um it was sort of like cars um like a so imagine a trading card without a serial number okay right where you know you if you have two of them they're 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 functionally they're fungible amongst themselves right if you have two right. of the same card yeah. right if you have two baseball cards same player same year same condition those are functionally fungible yeah um and so that form of digital collectibles um uh was i, I would we would now call them semi-fungible tokens but that existed that existed back on bitcoin yeah. using something called colored coins okay um, but no one, no one referred to them as semi-fungible tokens. No one referred to um, them as non-fungible tokens. Mm -hmm. um, they, the term "colored coins" was was frequent, mm -hmm. frequently used. Um, but like crypto punks were just they were just punks. Like yeah. there was nothing in the crypto punks smart contract and any of their public thing that intended it to be anything beyond just this one project. Okay, it wasn't. It wasn't one instance of an idea. It was its own idea standing okay. on its own. Yeah. And so when we decided to make CryptoKitties, I, I had seen CryptoPunks and I was like, well, it'll be more fun if you can do something with these cats. Mm. And that's where the breeding game came from. Okay. Um, and so I designed that breeding game. It was tough because you had to like fit the algorithm to breed the cats yeah. into a the uh, smart contract programming language. Right. And the Ethereum network, um, it's about as powerful as like, an Apple II computer from the <laughs> 80s, like that, it, even though it's using all this electricity for the proof of work yeah. and securing the blockchain, yeah. the smart contract execution layer is actually very computationally weak. It can't do very much. Okay. Now, most of the time, if you're just moving tokens from point A to point B, it doesn't need to do very much. Yeah. But with CryptoKitties, we were actually starting to like actually using that computation, um, taxing the computation effort. And so we were working on CryptoKitties and Whenever we talk, we tell somebody, um, either inside the company or advisors from outside the company, they'd always ask if it was ERC-20 compatible. Right. And I'd always get frustrated because the whole point of CryptoKitties was that every cat was different. And the way ERC-20 was constructed, it was fundamentally a standard for 
for something that's fungible, where it only matters how many you have. Right. Like, it, there was n there's no way in ERC20 to track individual tokens, okay. right? Um, any more than like in your bank account. Like, which is, you know, if you have $10 in your bank account, is that two $5 right, bills right. or one $10? No, it, yeah. in, in your bank account, it's totally fungible. Yeah. Um, and that's how ERC-20 worked. And so I, I kept getting frustrated by this question. And then one day it hit me. I'm like, well, why shouldn't there be a standard for things like CryptoKitties, right? Yeah. We, we'd seen CryptoPunks, right? Yeah. We'd seen something a little similar with like rare Pepe's and, and what was happening with colored coins on, on Bitcoin. But on Ethereum, it seemed like there was an opportunity for a lot of creativity in this mm. area. And so I, um, I created um, uh, an Ethereum improvement proposal, EIP, yeah. called EIP721. Yeah. And I proposed an ERC, an, an Ethereum, I don't know what ERC stands for. Requisition? I, I don't even know <laughs> now that I think about it. Um, I proposed something called ERC721 which would be uh, the equivalent of ERC-20, but for non-fungible tokens. Okay. Now, that phrase, non-fungible tokens, um, no one was using it. It wasn't like a concept. Right. Um, and so I was like, what, what the heck should I call these things? Yeah. Um, and what's funny is, is that in the real world, most things aren't fungible. Right. Right? You're not fungible. Your, yeah. your, your kids aren't fungible. Your car yeah. isn't fungible. Right? Yeah. Like, fungibility is the exception, not the rule. Yeah. And so coming up with a term that means a thing that isn't fungible is really hard. Yeah. And like I went into the dictionary and it was like object or <laughs> thing, right? Like right. that's that's the word we use in the real world right. to refer to things that aren't fungible. It's just like everything. Yeah. Um, and so because I wanted to emphasize that these are tokens and because um, that, there are people in the community that proposed the term D because a lot okay. of people saw the use case of this as representing ownership of something that actually lived off chain. Okay. So, for example, you could imagine using one of these ERC721 objects to represent ownership of a house right. or, um, owner, or ownership of a car or a piece sure. of art. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yes, I want people to have that use case, but I also want there to be the use case, because again, CryptoKitties is in my brain, yeah. where the token is the thing, right. right? Where the thing on the chain is what you own. Okay. Um, and the best word I knew of to represent, like that people had accepted as it only lives on the chain. It's real because it lives on the chain, yeah. not it's representing something on the ch off chain, yeah. on chain, right? Like it's not usually when we write software, we represent the real a copy of the real world, right? right? Like um, you know, like if you have uh, you know your your employee list, right? It's in the computer, it's in a spreadsheet, but those aren't your employees. They're that's a that's a reference. It's a it's a copy. It's it's their names. Yeah. It's a copy of their names. Yeah. It's a copy of their titles. But they live somewhere else. Yeah. Tokens like Bitcoin, like Ethereum, um, like ERC twenty tokens. The reality of those is in the computer, mm -hmm. and that was what was magical about them. And so I felt like it was important to use that word token. But then I had to differentiate them from the other of tokens. Course. And so I went with non-fungible token. And um, and no one else thought that was a good idea. Like, no, if, if, <laughs> seems like, like nope, nobody knows what fungible is. And now you're defining this thing as what it's not yeah, it's, using it's, a term that no one, <laughs> no one knows what it is. And, and still today, this is a global mystery. What does non-fungible mean? How many articles business magazines have written about this topic? Exactly. And so, exactly. And so... <laughs> I decided, well, at least I can make it easier to, to swallow by just using the phrase NFT, like yeah. the initialism. Yeah. 
And so I wrote, I very carefully wrote the word and like non-fungible token once at the beginning of ERC 721, I put NFT in parentheses. Right. And then I was really careful to use NFT everywhere else. So that was quite intentional for you. Absolutely. Oh, it was sort of like, look, if I just call it non-fungible token everywhere, ev people will reject that term. Yeah. And then we'll be in this, like, we're just going to end up in uh, in this, like, um, uh, this, like, bike shedding argument, right? I don't know if you're familiar with that term. <laughs> no, what, what does that mean? So this is a total aside. So, so the idea of bike shedding is when, when a decision is hard, um, people are cautious to give opinions. Okay, yeah. Um, but when a decision is easy and doesn't matter, everyone has an opinion. Okay. And the canonical example of this is that, like, if we're building a new, um, if we're building a dam, right, um, you, you're not going to tell, you know, and you're part of the, the board that's approving this dam, you're not going to ask questions about, like, which turbines they're using. Like, you're going right. to leave that to the engineers. Yeah. But if you're part of the same requisition committee and you're asked to build a bike shed, yeah. Right. Suddenly you have an opinion. Right. <laughs> you care about the color of that thing. You right. care about the shape of that thing. Should it be on the west side of the building or the east right, side of the building? Right. And so bike shedding is the tendency of decisions to take up more time, the less important they are. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think it's an important concept in business. Yeah. Um, we use it in software all the time. Uh, and so um, I was worried that if there wasn't a terminology that people were willing to accept quickly, that it would just end up being a discussion about the what word we use yeah. rather than how these things work and what the, the yeah. what what they sh how they should be represented on chain yeah and so yeah so i very explicitly said these are non-fungible tokens i used you know nft and i hoped nft would stick yeah um and yeah it, it did <laughs> <laughs> boy did you ever imagine that we would be in kind of people selling nfts for millions of dollars and and that it would be where it is today that it would be like a global topic that nearly every organization is grappling with i so if you had asked me right like this this idea nft um what's the like if it becomes a big deal yeah what would that look like right um i would have assumed that it would have been an implementation detail behind certain things mm -hmm. that people might have heard of but not think of as important in and of itself right, right. so um like uh, like the term packet in the notion of of internet networking right, right? yeah everyone's heard of the word packet yeah. right most people don't know what that means yeah. but they're like oh yeah the packets yeah, yeah there's yeah. packets there's packets yeah. right i would have expected nft to be like in, in its wildest dreams right yeah. like that like that 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 a level of awareness where everyone knows that such a thing exists yeah but where most people don't interact with it directly, where it's like a, it's an implementation detail that most people don't really appreciate. Okay. Um, the idea that NFTs and, and, and CryptoKitties in included would end up being worth sort of, you know, seven, eight figures, I, I probably would have said maybe in like a very long time, right? Like you can imagine sort of, um, you know, 20 years from now, 30 yeah. years from now, people look <laughs> back and say, oh, that was an important, like, in retrospect, that was an important piece of art. In right. retrospect, that was an important step in technology. Right. And now I'm going to spend $10 million yeah. on it. If you had told me that people would have spent millions of dollars or 10, you know, 10 plus million dollars on assets sort of within six months of their being released, I, I, I don't know if I would have believed you. <laughs> um, we priced CryptoKitty number one, the very first CryptoKitty, at um, I think it was about three hundred thousand um, dollars, and we had we had the way we we priced CryptoKitties because we had no idea how these things should be priced, right? Yeah. And so we did everything as a Dutch auction, and so we would set a price, yeah. 
and then we would have a countdown clock. And in the case of those first um, thousand kitties, or we, sorry, hundred kitties that we called the founder kitties, um, we would set a starting price, and then it would go down over. I think it was six months. It was it was quite a long yeah. uh, time period, and the price would drop. And the price would drop, right? And it was it was linear. Um, yeah. So in so, six months, it would have been free. In six months, it would have been free okay. if no one had bought it uh, yeah. that whole time exactly. Yeah. And so after three months, it was going to be one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and so yeah. on. And so. We sort of imagined that it would be like two or three months before someone bought that thing, right? Right, and so it was, um, and and people thought I was being really aggressive, right? Well, I'm like, we should make we should make it three hundred thousand dollars, right? <laughs> um, and everyone's like, no, 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 no one's going to pay that much. And I'm like, that's fine, they don't have to, right? Yeah. But the longer it stays unsold, the like more interesting it becomes in right. its own way, right? Yeah. And so eventually, that rising interest and the falling price, they will intersect. Yeah. Um, yeah, it sold in the first week. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about um, the moment in time where um, CryptoKitties broke Ethereum. Is broke the right term? Stalled it out? Slowed I, it down? I, I'm sure there are other people who would object to the, the term broken, but that's the word I use. Okay, let's um, go for that. Um, and, and I say absolutely it was broken because it was unusable right. for most people during that time. So it was literally the week we launched, right? So we launched on... I can't remember what day of the week it was, but it was within two days, we were seriously constraining the Ethereum network. Um, and then for a full seven to 10 days after that, the network was virtually unusable for wow. us or anyone else. Yeah, that's incredible. And I mean, it's just the nature of the computer, right? I said it was more no more powerful than an Apple II computer from like a 1984, right? Yeah. Um, and it's like... What's funny is, is that that didn't even occur to us as a risk, oh, right? Of all the risks that we sort of like, oh, what if no one like, you know, yeah. how, what if no one is interested in this? What if no one plays it? What if it's not fun because it's fun because you trade with other players and yeah. there are no other players? Like, yeah. how do we bootstrap that? We really worried about that a lot. We never once thought to ourselves, what if, what if it's so popular that the network isn't able to keep up with the demand, right? Um, and the reality is, is that the, I mean, the demand was high, but the, the drop off in our funnel was hilariously high, right? Mm. Like the, like you want to talk about onboarding friction, right? Like you, you read about CryptoKitties in the New York times, you go to CryptoKitties.co, you are asked to install a browser plugin, right? right? MetaMask. <laughs> yeah. You then have to go to something like Coinbase and buy cryptocurrency, which requires you typically to go through KYC, upload a picture of you holding your credit card yeah. or sorry, your, <laughs> your, your driver's license, your driver's license or your passport. <laughs> Um, and then, and then, and only then can you play the cat game, right? right. So obviously our funnel was leaky, right? <laughs> um, but we still were managed to overwhelm the network because the network was a million times less powerful than I would have ever anticipated. Mm. Um, now remember re leading up to this, this was the ICO craze, right? Yeah. All through 2017, people were raising tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, promising to completely transform various industries. Mm -hmm. Um, all built on this Ethereum, blockchain, Ethereum. Yeah, yeah. And so the idea that our cat game was gonna, was gonna wreck this network was like not even on the radar. I guess it's kind of laughable, really. It, it's, it's absurd. We yeah. had 10,000 DAUs and we were using up more than a third of the capacity of the network. What's a, what's a, what's a DAU? Oh, sorry, uh, daily active users. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, so then how does this lead you, the breaking of Ethereum into, um, Things like maybe we can kind of angle into um, like Top Shot and Flow Blockchain and uh, some of the other things that you've done at Dapper. Sure. So 
CryptoKitties caught everybody by surprise, yeah. us, uh, the industry, the investors. And so a bunch of investors got in touch with us. They're like, hey, you guys have shown that there's like a consumer angle to this technology, right? right? Like everyone has sort of understood the financial aspects of it, the stuff that hadn't interested me to begin with. Yeah. And now here was something that was like consumer oriented, entertainment oriented. And that was like a whole new aspect of this technology. Right. So everyone was very excited about what we were doing. So we did a fundraise. We spun out this company, Dapper Labs. Um, you know, Roham and I as, as co-founders, um, and um, we, you know, uh, Axiom Zen kept a chunk of the company in exchange for swap. You know, putting all the people and the technology okay. the IP in there. Yeah. Um, and so all of the IP associated with CryptoKitties, all the people who built CryptoKitties, were now part of Dapper Labs yeah. officially. Um, and so my first job as CTO was okay. We're going to build entertainment technology for a consumer audience. We're going to we're going to bring a billion people to blockchain. Yeah. Well, we just had a blockchain that broke with ten thousand people. Right. So what are we going to do with a billion? <laughs> right. So question number one was, what are we going to build it on? Because it ain't going to be Ethereum. Right. And I spent three months um, uh, with you know I, I had a couple engineers, I had a product manager, and we spent three months investigating all of these different proposals right. for blockchains. And we got to the end of it and we're like, I don't want to build on any of these. I don't, these ones I don't trust. These ones I'm not sure they're going to scale. These ones aren't, you know, uh, it's hard to build on them. They're not designed with the, the idea that people will build complex software on them. They're, they're, they're sort of, they're baking in the assumption that programs are going to be simple yeah. and not complex. And we had already, you know, even with CryptoKitties, which is a very simple like algorithm, we the complexity was causing problems and so and no one was building a blockchain where they're like yes there's going to be we're going to handle that complexity yeah. for you. we're going to be able to build complex software um uh and, and build interesting applications on this and so we got to the end of it and we're like well shoot like there's no good answers here mm. and so the good news was is that i had i had the knowledge in front of me. I had a product person, I had three engineers and myself, and between us, we'd probably read a hundred white papers for mm. various blockchains and right. blockchain layer twos and all these different proposals. We'd talked to probably more than 20 teams mm. um, who were proposing or building blockchains at that time. And so just our brains were filled with sort of the best thinking about how a blockchain could work. And so I said, well, let's not give up. Can we do better? Yeah. Is there a solution to this? Can we solve this in a way that other people haven't? And that's where Flow came from. Okay. And um, and we we realized that we could build a blockchain that preserved the notion of decentralization, made sure that that the 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 platform, the protocol itself, was highly resistant to capture, right? Whether yeah. by corporate capture or, or um, government capture, mm. um, that it was highly performant and could be a satisfying environment for more complex software to be built on it. Wow. Um, and so how has Flow, how has the marketplace reacted to Flow since, since inception? Um, I mean, the people, the people who, it's a noisy market. Mm. Um, we as a company don't like to, I mean, our mission is to create value for people not mm -hmm. to to make number go up right like okay. there, there is this 
there's a there's sort of a mindset in the crypto industry that it's all about speculation it's all about these tokens like right. the fungible tokens is yeah. all about money making money and 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 whatnot no i want people to make money but like i want people to create end user value right, right? okay i want them to create and user value and get and you know and make money doing so not literally making money as in like printing a new token yeah. And, yeah. and hoping to convince other people that it has value the problem is is that in an in an industry where everyone else is saying, hey, come over here, I've got free money. Yeah. And we're saying, hey, come over here. If you put in a lot of hard work and create a lot of user value, you can like change the world. Right. That is appealing to some people, okay. but it's not, uh, it's not as viral a message as come right. over here and, and yeah. we've got a bunch of free money to give you. Okay. And so, um, so I'm honestly a little disappointed at the number of people who have really looked into Flow's technology mm. and understood like what we're proposing here. Yeah. But boy, oh boy, the people who have love it. Right. Um, you know, anybody who is coming in fresh, you know, either has doesn't have a blockchain background, they come in and they they read our documentation and they read it, you know, see how it works. They just make sense to them. And then yeah. they, you know, if they go and look at another blockchain, they're like, well, what the heck is going on over there? Yeah. Even better are the people who are coming from other blockchains and and you know, if, if they understand, you know, like if they're an engineer or or um, like a product person who understands the real ab actual challenges of building an application from you yeah. know, from zero to release, um, they love what we're doing on Flow. They love what we're doing with yeah. Dapper Wallet. Um, but for the people who um, really want to do something quick and and you know get into the market as quickly as possible, doing as little work as possible, yeah. um, we we don't have as good a story. And so. Um, I'm mostly happy with that, but it does mean that um, I don't. I don't think we get the, the necessarily the attention we deserve, and I think right. we need to do a lot better marketing and, okay. and outreach for that reason. So let me ask you, uh, kind of about the speculation. You strike me, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, that you know, kind of the speculative aspect of crypto is not what you're interested in. You're interested in adding true value. I mean, speculation in crypto is really at the heart of what a lot of people are in it for. I would say. Uh, flipping NFTs or whatever, um, uh, whatever that looks like for them. And you as kind of the creator of, you know, the first mainstream NFT, the term, all this kind of stuff. Um, how do you feel about the state of the marketplace today? When people, when there's so many young YouTubers that are like, flip this NFT and buy and pump and dump this and, and moon boys and all this kind of stuff. How do you, how do you feel about the current state of where we're at? Oh, I think it's, it's, it's very counterproductive. Um, I think that we know that as humans, we find value in surrounding ourselves with things that, that we feel like reflect our personality mm -hmm. um, and help the world understand who we are, yeah. right? Whether that's a poster on the wall, a t-shirt, or the car you drive, right? These are all decisions. And, and we're used to paying a premium to, um, to, to signal in, in that way yeah. um and um and when you look at a game like fortnite where the old is one of the biggest money makers in the gaming industry right now and all they sell is cosmetics right um all they're selling is fashion all they're selling is a place to hang out and and demonstrate through the things that you you've selected yeah. either paid for or free that represent your personality yeah so the idea that people don't won't get real lasting value out of digital ownership of uh, of purely digital assets is like to me it's obvious of course that's going to happen sure. right like yeah. people people 
care about things and they care about how other people perceive them yeah. and digital fits right in with that. Yeah. I have long said internally to our team when we were building CryptoKitties, when we were building NBA Top Shot, um, when we're looking at any other products, mm. I'm always telling the team if if the majority of our users aren't buying the item because that thing, owning that thing has value to them yeah. because they're a basketball fan, because they're a football fan, because they're a fan of that particular player. Um, if, if the ownership of the thing itself is not valuable, but because they think they can sell it on to somebody else, yeah. we're, we're wrecked, right? right? Because that, that is an unsustainable trend. Yeah. There is no world in which people think they're going to sell it to somebody. Like if the only drive is I'm going to sell it to somebody else. Now, can a fraction of people have that speculative mindset? Of course, yeah. right? Um, and that can even provide a service to a, a community where like the person selling it might not want to wait until the person who's ready to buy it right. is ready to buy it. Right. And that, that person who comes in the middle and, and provides that liquidity yeah. um, can be very valuable. And so it's absolutely... Um, healthy for a percentage, a small percentage or a minority, it doesn't have to be super small, um, of the, the people to have some amount of speculation involved. But if it's not the driving force of your economy, yeah. then at the, it's just never going to be able to be sustained. Do you see, or sorry, where do you see the future of NFTs beyond, you know, profile pictures, art, um, maybe collectibles? Because I think that's probably where we are that's, I think, where most NFTs are today. And correct me if I'm wrong on that. But where do you see the future going beyond kind of the way that we see it today? So I think, I think NFTs as collectibles and art will continue to exist. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that collectively it can be a very big market, mm -hmm. you know, many hundreds of millions of dollars. But maybe individual NFTs won't be quite as, as much. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I think that's going to continue to be a, a, a big deal because, again, like we've seen that, right? People like art, people like yeah. collectibles, people yeah. like um, T-shirts. Uh, so why shouldn't they like digital uh, collectibles? Right. Um, the, the two areas where I think they're most fruitful um, are one, what I call sort of active um, or dynamic NFTs, where the NFT has some on-chain behavior. Mm -hmm. um, that is by itself fun, right? And we did that with CryptoKitties. CryptoKitties, you have two cats, you bring them together, you get another cat, is that cat, what does that cat look like? It's fun, it's interesting, right? Yeah. right? Um, and, you know, it, was it a perfect uh, experience, a perfect game? No, but it, I think, like, it was designed to last for a year. And I think for that year, we had an amazing community of people who had a lot of fun yeah. playing this game where okay. they were discovering all of these various gene combinations and unlocking new kinds of cats yeah um and and i think that's a really interesting and mm. i think you can take that way further um and you know i'm 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 working with a team right now who's um who's trying to build a game where it's it's an actual interactive game where i go and i buy my game pieces mm -hmm. and then i challenge you to a game and okay. we play a game right um and if you look at something like you know magic the gathering Right? There's a digital version of Magic the Gathering, right? Mm. There's multiple digital versions of it. Mm. And people buy the digital 
assets and they play games against each other and they don't expect to make money reselling those assets on because right. it's fun to play games right. with right. other people. Yeah. So I think that's a huge area that uh, needs to be opened up and explored and, mm -hmm. and I believe will be in the next couple of years. Yeah. The other one is just using NFTs as a, a representation of the kind of ownership that in the past we would use like a card, mm -hmm. uh, like a membership card or a subscription card or something like that. Um, I think the idea that um, uh, I have an NFT that represents that I went to such and such a concert, and because I have that from 10 different concerts, I get special treatment from the artist, right? Maybe I get to buy, uh, I, I get invited to a, you know, a, a smaller venue mm -hmm. uh, concert, yeah. um, where it's a, it's a, it's, it's like a ticket stub, yeah. um, uh, and, but it has... It, and it has utility, right? We use that yeah. term utility, but it's not necessarily on chain, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we're exploring this quite a bit with, with Top Shot, right? Finding, you know, people who have, you know, you have a giant Lakers collection will enter you into a, you know, potentially enter you into a, a, a contest where you could win a seat to a Lakers game okay. um, or, or a Lakers jersey. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of, you know, that, that I think is another really rich area where yeah. the NFT itself is is just a, a representation of something else yeah. um, that, that's happening somewhere else. So it's giving you access to yeah. something. Exactly. Okay, great. I, I want to maybe end on one question. What is the metaverse? <laughs> and where, I don't know, maybe you can take that any way you want. What is the metaverse and where is the future of the metaverse? What does that look like to us? I mean, I think you ask 10 people what the metaverse is, you get 10 <laughs> different answers. Yes, absolutely. Um, and and I'm I mostly reject um, answering that question. I think, you know, I think the the information superhighway was a term used uh, in the early days of the internet okay. uh, to refer to the web. I wonder if metaverse is going to be one of those words where like it's cool for a couple of years right. and makes it on the front of a oh, um, uh, magazine and then uh, and then everyone forgets about it for a while. Yeah. Um, who knows? Uh, then the name might stick. But I think the fundamental idea is that we know right now today that we are on the verge of creating a, like a new an, a new kind of digital presence that goes beyond like video chat yeah um now usually people associate this with like vr goggles and whatnot um and maybe it is that um yeah. but it's the idea is is that it's it's removing the the barrier that exists between you and me when we're talking on video yeah that when i'm talking to you on a video there's this there's a screen if there's a it feels like like to our monkey brains it's like there's a piece of glass between you and me yeah, yeah. um i can only see you from one angle i can't you know we're not in a space together we're definitely separated mm. and yes we can communicate and and that can be very effective but we're definitely separated yeah and it's trying to get rid of that separation yeah. right and yeah. obviously vr technology is, is a big part of that um, I believe that once we have that place, that it will be a place where we can hang out, mm. um, and you know, with our friends, both local and and uh, distant. Um, and I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, and the only thing that I really bring to this conversation, I think, what everything that I just said is most people who sort of talk about the metaverse would would agree with those things, and they're pretty broad. The only thing I bring into this is that 
I think that a place, a second place where we all go to hang out and we have a bunch of stuff, right? Digital yeah. uh, um, items yeah. that, that sort of represent our personality that mm. we're used to personalize that space. If that is all owned by one company, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and so will like the way we understand a blockchain today will that does that solve all those problems no it doesn't but but if we don't find a way to build those systems such that they are somewhat decentralized yeah. federated um uh like interoperable something it's it's a terrible like that's just a dystopia to me when yeah. we end up becoming prisoners of that space rather than it being a, a, a new place for us to be who we want to be. Yeah. Um, and, and so I am hopeful that some of the technology we're building will be like some of the bricks in the foundation of a metaverse or a yeah. second space where we can, we can interact with each other mm. that is truly open and, and, and is opt-in rather than lock-in. Yeah, that's great. That's really interesting. Um, Deed, it's been an awesome conversation. Um, this is like this is super interesting. I feel like we could go for a long, long time. At least I could listen to you for a long, <laughs> long time. Um, I really appreciate you um, spending some time with us here today, hearing about kind of the foundations of uh, of NFTs, um, ERC seven twenty one, whatever ERC stands for. I mean, this is something we're <laughs> we're gonna have to look up. Um, and uh, and learning and understanding CryptoKitties and, and the foundations of Flow blockchain has been really, really interesting. I really appreciate you coming in. Um, this has been a great, uh, great conversation. Thanks right, so this much. has been a lot of fun. Thanks for awesome. Thank you.